0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, and welcome to the jungle.
2: Oh, very happy
1: to be here. <clears throat> Hope everybody enjoyed my uh, my guest hosting on Breaking Points last week. I know there was a little bit of controversy. The fact that I curse like a sailor, but what are you going to do? That's just par for the course. Anybody who's listened to the show for a long time knows the deal. Knows that that's rather unavoidable. Even when I tried super hard to stop, I couldn't fully stop. I can get close, but no, it's it's. Once the first one comes out, it doesn't stop, dog. It just keeps coming. So, uh, but I had a great time. Maybe I'll maybe I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, but today. We have a very important show, very, very important show, as I'm sure most of you know, because um, Afghanistan has completely imploded. So we're going to talk about um, what's going on. I will play a video for you, uh, a news clip for you, I mean. Um, And honestly, listen, I'm going to be defending Joe Biden today. I am gradually morphing into a Biden bro as I see that he has zero allies over the best thing he's ever done. So, a little annoying. Actually, it's really annoying. I'm going to be the only person with this take in all, the entire media, it seems like. But, uh, got to tell you guys the truth, so we'll do it. All right. After that, we're going to get to – I got. if you're not interested in Afghanistan, don't even bother listening to the show today. Because let me see the number of segments I have on Afghanistan. One, two, three, four – five five segments on Afghanistan five that's a lot on Afghanistan Uh, now later on we'll get to um, Fox News admits they want Americans to be obedient dogs they want American workers to be like obedient dogs so just shut up and do the stuff that we want you to do Um, we have Rudy Giuliani and um, Mike Lindell they are being sued by Dominion and the case is proceeding so that's hilarious if I don't say so myself. Um, and we also have Marjorie Taylor Greene, Julian Assange update, uh, and an anti-vaccine nurse. Probably not the thing you should be if uh, for a living if you're not pro-vaccine. So anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, this one will be a long segment where we talk about what's going on in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan is going, going, gonzo, son. It, is, uh, it has been officially taken over by the Taliban. Uh, you have the president fleeing the country, fleeing the country. Um, Kabul, you know, the main city. Well, other main cities also fell within the last three days, but the main city, Kabul, um, has fallen. And the Taliban just sort of slowly marched in there and made their way to the presidential palace and sat at the former president's desk. So, I mean, it honestly is legendary how quickly uh, Afghanistan fell. And there are some lessons to take away from that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, But first, let me go ahead and show you uh, a Sky News segment on this. Usually when it comes to a lot of foreign policy stuff, I generally like to lean on outlets that are not American because I think they usually do a better job. So here's a Sky News piece on what just happened in Afghanistan.
3: We'd been warned, but this was the first time that we realized something was happening. Gunfire followed by people running. Police vehicles suddenly appearing on the streets that were emptying fire. Within minutes, helicopter gunships appeared over the presidential palace and government buildings in the center of Kabul anti-missile systems firing champ into the air. The Taliban had entered the city and the American pilots knew it. For hours, they circled above, but there was nothing they could do to stop the takeover of the capital. Occasional gunfire ripped through the air. Throughout the day, Chinook helicopters ferried United States Embassy staff to the International Airport. Road moves deemed far too dangerous. It harks back to the images of the ignominious retreat of the U.S. from Vietnam. An image, President Biden said, wouldn't be repeated. But this still photograph may well come back to haunt the President in the days to come. In Kabul, crowds gathered to welcome the Taliban. They greeted speakers with enthusiasm. I hear a lot of shouting uh, near the presidential palace. I watch as the Taliban enter the very heart of this country's government. I think it's a procession of, uh, of the Taliban. Uh, yes, it is. There's the white flag, and uh, they're coming down uh, the street uh, just next to us. Inside the presidential palace, they rammed home this remarkable takeover, posing in the offices of power. The power that, after two decades of trying, has failed to finish them. Detention the in Kabul has been a bursting point. As we left our hotel to see what was going on, the Taliban were right in front of us. They stared, but let us pass. It won't be like this for long. These streets are usually heaving with people and cars. They were deserted. Traffic jams are a permanent fixture here, the reason army and police checkpoints. Now though we pass through unimpeded, these heavily armed mini fortresses now unmanned, once again, the Afghan soldiers have melted away. Well, in just a very short while after the arrival of the Taliban and news had spread through the city, the streets are are really empty. I mean, we were here uh, uh, only a day or so ago and in the hours from this morning, we could see it was absolutely chocobot with people. Now uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty quiet, pretty empty. A lot of people have just gone home. Um, there's no real sort of authority in the streets anymore. This population knows what's coming. Some of the changes are subtle. No jeans and t-shirts now. They've changed into traditional Shawa kameez clothing and there's no women to be seen and no images of women on beauty salon windows either, whitewashed, even as the President talked, but he was still in charge. There is a clear need
4: that the National Directorate of Security, alongside the police and Afghan army, take responsibility of the security of all citizens, as per my order to the Defence Minister and the Interior Minister. It is our responsibility, and God willing, we will carry out the responsibility
3: in its best manner. The president's words of security infer order at the airport there wasn't much of that to be seen. There's a mad scramble to get on flights that have been cancelled and onto military flights to which there's no access. The road's clogged with traffic in Afghan military vehicles, moving in all directions, but mainly away from the Taliban. On the roadside, the latest arrivals from battles around the country drag their belongings along the dusty roads looking for somewhere to stay. None will forget the day the Taliban returned. Their 20-year war is won. Stuart Ramsey, Sky News, Taboo.
1: That's a fair summation. The Taliban has won the war in Afghanistan. Um, So... The only area that the United States still holds is the airport. So Biden sent in about 5,000 U.S. troops, but only to secure the airport and basically get out the rest of our allies. Actually, not even our allies, get out the rest of the Americans and the people who are employed by the U.S. government and perhaps our contractors as well. Um, You have the biggest failure here. And, you know, there are many people who would argue there are a lot of failures, but the biggest failure would probably be the fact that we have interpreters and people who aided the U.S. government along the way. Um, There's about 88,000 allies of the U.S. who are from Afghanistan and in Afghanistan And we have a really arduous process to get into this country and get through immigration. It's a 14-step process. And as a result of that, as a result of the bureaucracy, fewer than 2,000 people have been let into the United States legally. So 88,000 desperately need our help, and only 2,000 have already been let in. So to the extent you can talk about failures, that's probably the biggest failure, is that um, there should have been a streamlined process for the people who, were, who really depended on us and we depended on them throughout this whole process um, that they should be let in. and Because this is what they were promised all along. They were effectively promised, hey, if you're an interpreter for us or if you do X, Y, or Z for us, then um, we'll let you in. And it appears like that's not happening and a lot of these people are screwed. So I, I do feel terrible for those people if I was Biden or if I was in the federal government, I would be trying to actively work on streamlining that process and get as many of these people to safety as possible. Now, as of right now, there has been no fighting. There has been no bloodshed. Um, at some point, probably come, but the Taliban has taken a, a largely hands-off approach because they know that the government is fleeing. So, in fact, the head of police under uh, Ghani, the former Afghanistan president, um, they're keeping the same head of police, and the Taliban has already sworn him in. So they're taking some people who were in government positions and they're saying, you can stay in that position, and but now you're just part of the Taliban and working for the Taliban. As you saw there, the airport is hectic, and a lot of people are desperately trying to flee. You heard about some of the rule changes that are already in effect in terms of uh, what's allowed. Um, now, let's get into the just... Some of the amazing facts about this. The United States spent $90 billion with a B to train 300,000 Afghanistan military fighters. 300,000 Afghanistan military fighters. 90 billion. You know how many Taliban there are? About 75,000. This isn't about numbers, and this isn't about training, and this isn't about equipment. This is about a complete and utter lack of will to fight. The reason why there's a complete and utter lack of will to fight is because Afghanistan is basically a fake country, and it was completely and utterly propped up by the United States of America. And so you have the 75,000-strong Afghanistan, which is a lot weaker than the number of people who are allied with the government, but uh, they have a governing philosophy and they have the will, and so as a result of that, they're easily winning this. In 2019 alone, the United States dropped 7,423 bombs on Afghanistan. And by the way, there were mass civilian casualties with that. I wonder what that money could have went towards. The amount of money it cost to drop 7,423 bombs. The U.S. a number of times lost track of weapons that were in Afghanistan. Well, guess what? Now all of the weapons that were given to the 300,000-person-strong Afghanistan military... They're going to go to the Taliban now. So we ended up making the Taliban a lot stronger than it ever would have been simply by our meddling in the country and our attempt to prop up a fake government effectively. That is a a devastating thought. And by the way, of course, we built a lot of infrastructure for them uh, that will now be used by the Taliban. The U.S. also built a multimillion-dollar compound in Kandahar that we never once used. That, of course, will go towards Taliban use now. Um, there's plenty of U.S. money for Afghan schools that went to our allied warlords, who we've talked about previously on the show, who had child sex slaves, um, and the Taliban. Some U.S. troops, we've been in Afghanistan so long, 20 years, that some U.S. troops have actually watched their children go to the exact same war, which is hard to wrap your mind around. Now, uh, let me give you some more information on this. U.S. news had some great numbers laying out the facts here. American service members killed in Afghanistan through April, 2,448. U.S. contractors killed, 3,846. Afghan national military and police, 66,000 killed. Other allied service members, including from other NATO member states, 1,144. Afghan civilians killed, 47,245. Taliban and other opposition fighters, 51,191 aid workers, 444, journalists, 72. Um, And let me give you probably the most devastating fact of all here. Estimated amount of direct Afghanistan and Iraq war costs that the United States has debt financed as of 2020, $2 trillion, $2 trillion. Estimated interest costs by 2050, so this is how much the war is going to cost in total because it's paid for with debt. Is how much the war is going to cost in total when you add the interest by 2050? $6.5 trillion. Trillion dollars. So now the question is very obvious. What do we have to show for all this? What do we have to show for the thousands of U.S. service members killed? What do we have to show for the nearly 50,000 Afghani civilians who were killed? What do we have to show for it? What do we have to show for the $2 trillion already spent, and $6.5 trillion that will be spent in total. What do we have to show for it? What do we have to show for it? We have nothing to show for it. In fact, the reason we were told we were going into Afghanistan, what were they? Well, they moved the goalposts a number of times. But first and foremost, they said, we've got to go to bin Laden. This guy attacked us on 9-11. We have to do it. It's the most straightforward thing you could ever imagine. Well, guess what? He's been dead since 2011. 2011. Then they moved the Gulf Coast and said, okay, 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 it's not just about Osama bin Laden. It's about we have to destroy al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Well, guess what? According to our own intelligence, there's less than 100 al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, and that's all the way back as of 2009. 2009. So why are we there? Now, you say, oh, well, maybe the, the, the Taliban is going to give refuge to the new boogeyman ISIS. We reported on this on this show, because this is what we do. We follow this stuff and talk about it. But the Taliban has been fighting ISIS. When ISIS had their rise to prominence, the Taliban started fighting them. Now, by the way, it, does that mean, am I saying the Taliban is good? Of course not. But you need to understand the reality on the ground. And you need to understand that, for example, the Taliban is a guerrilla army. That's very different than a jihadist, a global jihadist network, which ultimately wants world domination. The Taliban is a guerrilla army that just has their own national ambitions in their own region of the world. So, of course, they butted heads and they fought. And by the way, the Taliban really did a number on ISIS. They were the better fighting force. So we have absolutely nothing to show for it. And guess what? Now, as I talk to you guys, you have all of U.S. political media, all of them, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, everybody you can think of, they're all viciously going after Biden for pulling out and doubling down on that based on what they're saying. You also have every wing of every major party, every wing of the Democrats and every wing of the Republicans, also going after Biden. I haven't heard a single word from any of the left flank in Congress. I haven't heard a single word from any of them. Nobody's out there defending what Biden did and explaining how, listen, what, what other option did we have? And this is where I'm going to pose this to all you. Now, it seems like the conventional wisdom is, well, we, why did we do this? The Taliban took over. Why did we do this? Why did we do this? We shouldn't have done this. So what's the implication? The implication is you should stay there forever or draw down in a more orderly way that takes longer. Well, They already extended the timeline, so what would your timeline look like? And here's the main takeaway, guys. When you see how fast Afghanistan folded like a cheap lawn chair, there is no timeline and there is no amount of an orderly withdrawal that would have averted this. So as I told you from early on, it doesn't matter if we withdrew in 2005, in 2008, in 2014. In 2016, in 2021, in 2032, in 2048, in 2089, it doesn't matter when we pull out. Afghanistan was always going to become Talibanistan. It was very clearly always going to become Talibanistan. And, I I mean, I think that's obvious when you look at how fast everything imploded. When you look at how fast it went down, what do you think we could have done to avert this? Again, you could say, if you're being honest, you could say, well, we could say that forever. Okay, but... The American people don't agree with you. The American people don't agree with you. And also, as I said, we were told the goals were get Osama bin Laden, check. Get rid of Al-Qaeda, check. So what the hell is left? What's left? Well, we know what's left, and we know, unfortunately, what a lot of this was really about. The military industrial complex is very powerful. They make a lot of money from war. You know who wants this? There was just an article the other day. We were, it just came out yesterday, actually. They said, oh, Biden's Biden's missteps in Afghanistan. And it said, presented by Lockheed Martin. Are you kidding? That's the definition of conflict of interest. I think this was in Politico. That's the definition of conflict of interest. Who wants to stay in more than Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and Boeing and Honeywell and every single so-called defense contractor you could think of? This is who was steering our foreign policy. It's true. So they make a lot of money. They make money through no big contracts. And the reason they're in control is because of bribery, legalized bribery. So that's one reason we're there. Another reason we're there is natural resources, opium in Afghanistan, trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in Afghanistan. In the case of Iraq, oil. So that has a lot to do with it. And then also it's geopolitics. It's the fact that we want to make sure China and Russia stay at bay in our imperialism chessboard And we want to keep them from having influence in the region. And, by the way, mission failed through and through because as we were bombing, they were building shit. And now they're telling Afghanistan, China is, we're going to make you part of the Belt and Road Initiative, and we're going to go in there and build all your infrastructure out, and we're going to become business partners. Now, this is just imperialism by another name and through another form, but it is imperialism. But we looked at it and said, let's bomb our way to world domination and and being the world police. They're saying, let's build stuff. Let's build infrastructure. And so now, immediately, they have a lot more control in the region, a region that we consider vital. So in every measurable way, this was a failure. So what I say is, what, what did people want Biden to do? What did you want Biden to do? Stay there in a half-assed way forever. Stay there forever with boots on the ground in an all-out way. What did you want? Nobody's giving a serious counterproposal. The conventional wisdom serious people are just saying, just not like this. That's their only point is why like you just getting out in the way you got out is not the way to get out because look, th- bad things happened. They were gonna happen no matter what, whenever you pulled out. So I think it is incredibly disingenuous the way that people are talking about this. Now, by the way, you wanna hear a really interesting fact? I, fi- I find this incredible. So again, it is unanimous. It's across the board. Everybody's going after Biden for what he did, or his so-called allies are staying silent on this, which I would argue, honestly, is the best thing he ever did. Nate Cohn of the New York Times says, one minor note on the fall of Saigon, because that's what everybody's comparing it to. Like, oh my God, look, this is exactly like the fall of Saigon in Vietnam. Hold on. The takeaway from that story was not, we should have stayed in Vietnam forever. So why is everybody pretending like that's the takeaway from the story? He says, one minor note on the fall of Saigon. Whatever embarrassment it may have meant for the United States or the Ford administration, it's not really my recollection that it hurt Ford politically or was an important issue in the 1976 campaign. Hmm. Ford's approval rating was at its low point before the fall of Saigon, and it was quite a bit higher a month or two after the fall than it was at the time. And and a Gallup poll in um, 1975, just after this, credited credited getting troops out of vietnam as being his biggest accomplishment his biggest accomplishment so at the time everybody flips out everybody's like oh my god this is terrible we're so embarrassed how can we mess up this bad how can we be so stupid and then a poll comes out afterwards and they and in this gallop official respected polling outlet and apparently the american people say actually that's his biggest accomplishment What did I tell you guys recently? There's a poll that came out, and on every area, Biden dropped, in every area, handling of the economy, handling of coronavirus, you name it. One area where he went up, Afghanistan. The only one where he's above water. And, by the way, this is when we already had a lot of propaganda about how This city is falling, and that city is falling, and that city is falling, and this city is falling, and what are we going to do? And that's the media trying to imply, like, get back in, get back in, get back in. We're messing up, we're messing up. And as the cities were falling to the Taliban, you still had Biden's approval rating go up on the issue of Afghanistan. Guys, there's a lie by commission, which is actively lying, and then there's also this thing, lie by omission, which is, you can paint a massively misleading picture by just not giving important context and important perspective. And that is everything the media has done to manufacture consent on Afghanistan. And that's everything that they're doing right now. Because when the, the, Afghanistan, the Afghanistan papers came out not that long ago, what was it? Six months ago, a year ago, something like that? And what we learned, and actually I have some quotes uh, on this for you. You guys are going to really be blown away by this i mean you guys probably already know it because you follow this show and we covered all this stuff but when the afghanistan papers came out they they didn't even treat it like a scandal they didn't even treat it like something to talk about for a full day or two days or a week they was in and out of the news in like an hour or two and they certainly didn't give all the details so crystal actually isolated a lot of this stuff she went back and looked through some of the afghanistan paper stuff um this is how they thought it was really going in Afghanistan all along, all along, the entire 20 years. Quote, we didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. General Douglas Lute, White House's Afghan war czar under Bush and Obama, didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. This is about Obama's surge. Quote, it was impossible to create good metrics. We tried using troop numbers trained, violence levels, control of territory, and none of it painted an accurate picture. The metrics were always manipulated for the duration of the war. That's a senior NSC official. If the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost, who will say this was in vain, General Lute? Every data point was altered to present the best possible picture. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable, but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and we became a self-licking ice cream cone. That's from Colonel Bob Crowley, senior counterinsurgency advisor. Our biggest single project, sadly and inadvertently, of course, may have been the development of mass corruption. Ryan Crocker's ambassador to Afghanistan under um, Ryan Crocker was the ambassador to Afghanistan under Bush and Obama. Uh, so this is just some of the quotes. They admit every step of the way, we don't have a goal, we don't have a mission, we don't know what we're doing. We're just here. Um, it's a total mess. As I've told you guys before, um, we allied with warlords who had child sex slaves. And then when our military people blew the whistle on our allies' fucking children, you know what happened? They were discharged. So instead of saying, whoa, this is crazy, maybe don't arm them, maybe don't back them up, they said, shh, keep it on the low because we need their support. So those were your options in Afghanistan. And if you take anything away from this segment, it needs to be this. Your options were warlords with child sex slaves, the Taliban or a deeply corrupt U.S.-backed government, which is completely fake, which is a total puppet government, which has no popular support. So there are no good answers. So we come full circle to, what are we doing there? I told you guys, $90 billion to train 300,000 Afghanistan soldiers, and they ran away the second they heard a Taliban soldier fart to Tajikistan. So you know how much it would cost for free college in this country? About $60 billion. We spent $90 billion training a military that ran away instantaneously. So to look at all this and your takeaway is, well, obviously we should have just stayed or we should have withdrawn in a more orderly way. It just shows how disconnected from the American people the media is and the parties are, but also how disconnected from the facts they are, from the facts. This whole thing was effectively a scam. Biden is right to get out, and he's right to double down, and he's right if he triples down. Now, by the way, I'm holding my breath. Why am I holding my breath? Because there's been nothing but wall-to-wall criticism of Biden, and so now he's forced to come out and make some sort of statement. Lord only knows what he's going to say. I hope he doesn't say, okay, well, now we're going to go back in because you guys criticized me enough, and it's coming from all areas. I really hope Biden holds the line and stands his ground and doubles down and triples down and quadruples down and goes full curmudgeonly grandpa because— We already wasted $2 trillion. In total, it's going to be $6.5 trillion. Imagine what that money could have went towards. Everybody died in vain in this. It is America's Vietnam. By the way, a poll came out in 2013, I believe it was, the war in Afghanistan is more unpopular than Vietnam was at the height of its unpopularity, and everybody looks at Vietnam as super unpopular. If I remember correctly, it was under a 20% approval rating for the war in Afghanistan. And again, this is what the entire media is implying we should get back in or should have never left. And this is what the two major parties are either flat out saying we should get back in or just not saying anything and not defending the actions of the administration, which should be defended, which should be defended. Uh, This is beyond frustrating because this is the best thing Biden has done. And he's getting more shit on it than anything ever. So it's astonishing to watch this unfold. Listen, what else could he have done? My fear was that he was going to stay there and leave the residual forces, and we'd always effectively be there, and we'd always be dropping bombs and stuff. No, turns out now he's getting out, out, out. Because now the Taliban has taken over, so what are you going to do? You can't keep U.S. contractors and stuff there with the Taliban in control of Kabul and Kandahar and Jalalabad and everywhere else. So what are you going to do? You're going to get out, out, out. So thing you could have done and don't give me this bullshit because this is what's gonna happen everybody's gonna pretend it's, it's the this mass delusion everybody does this kabuki theater where they're like oh but the real reason we were there was for human rights and democracy and freedom and the women what about the women <laughs> our top ally is Saudi Arabia in Saudi Arabia women have no rights. in Saudi Arabia they behead people in the public square for witchcraft and sorcery and adultery drug smuggling if you want to talk about women's rights why don't you address where we actually have sway first with our allies why don't you go try to bring about women's rights among our allies first why don't you do that it's not really about women's rights and it's not really about democracy we prop up dictators all over the place our top allies are dictators or authoritarians or theocrats or a mixer obviously so it's not about human rights, it's not about democracy, it's not about freedom, it's not about justice, it's not about women's rights. And if you believe it is, God, I have a bridge to sell you, and you are just so incredibly naive. But watch, the entire commentary in the media will be about how this makes the U.S. look bad, and what about democracy, and what about the women? And it's just going to be the dumbest conversations you've ever heard in your life, and we're already seeing them. We're already hearing them, we're already seeing them. This is the best thing Biden did, and I hope he stands strong. And I, listen, I'm curious to see what happens. The the propaganda onslaught is overwhelming, but and maybe it'll move the poll numbers a little bit. Like maybe Biden's, uh, you know, the view of how Biden's doing on Afghanistan will go down. But I don't know. I think it's possible that um, generally the same thing that happened with Ford in Vietnam happens with uh, Biden, where it really doesn't hurt him that much because. I don't know about you guys, but if you talk to anybody who's not poisoned with the D.C. brain rot, um, most, people, most people tell you, like, what are we fucking doing? Come on, let's just get out. We're done. We're done. We're done. I don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to waste our money on it anymore. What are we policing an area halfway across the world for? So who knows? Who knows? But I really hope he stands strong, and um, I'm gradually morphing into a Biden bro as I see everybody and their mother go after him, for the least bad thing he's done. In fact, it's the best thing he's done. This was going to happen. This was going to happen no matter what. So better rip the Band-Aid off quickly. Remember that old trick? You got a Band-Aid on, it's better to just rip it off quickly than to slowly but surely do it. And it was already 20 years. What do you want, 21, 22, 30, 48? No. It's time to come home. He brought us home, and it's none of our business going on in that country is none of our business. I feel terrible for all the people there. The only thing I would have changed and the only thing I would have done better is get all of our people out quicker, faster, and you give citizenship to the the interpreters and their families who, of course, are going to be brutalized under uh, Taliban rule. Get them out. Outside of that, it is what it is. And perhaps instead of trying to bomb our way to dominance of the world, You could either not look for dominance of the world, or you could have talked to people and made business deals and um, built stuff instead of just bomb stuff. Okay. Next. So President Trump is, of course, going after Joe Biden for following through and pulling out of Afghanistan. Now the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. Trump calls on Biden to resign in disgrace over crisis in Afghanistan. Now he also goes on, he just does like a list of all of his gripes with, uh, with Biden and says he should resign over those things. There's southern Because Bur- the southern border, too, you should resign. That's another one that he likes to go to. Um, What else did he say? Oh, this one's extra hilarious. He said, uh, because of COVID, what's happening with COVID, the COVID surge, you should resign. Uh, That's ridiculous because, of course, um, Trump was a massive failure on COVID. And um, the the casualty numbers skyrocketed under him. You could say, hey, we didn't know what was going on at that point in time. Fair enough. But for him to criticize anybody else as if he doesn't live in the glassiest of glass houses is um is really something so he also said let's see if i could pull this up uh, i don't know if i have it where is it there it is okay i do have it um he also said what joe biden has done with afghanistan is legendary it will go down as one of the greatest defeats in american history um so as i told you in the previous segment a lot of people are comparing this to vietnam in the fall of saigon What they're not telling you is the takeaway was not, hey, we should have stayed in in Vietnam forever, like we shouldn't have left. No, that's nobody's take on it. Everybody, in fact, thinks we should have gotten out of Vietnam much sooner. Um, Ford's approval rating, by the way, this is fascinating. No matter how much you say, oh, my God, this embarrassed the United States, um, the fact of the matter is Ford's approval rating a month later went, went up. It went up. So he wasn't blamed for the fall of Saigon people looked at that and said, nah, that's nah, not really any of our business. And I, very possible they look at what happened in Afghanistan and they say the same thing in regards to the Taliban. Nah, what are you going to do? None of our business. It was obviously a fake country and we were propping it up and it was a house of cards. Look how quickly it fell. 300,000 people who are armed to the teeth ran away from 75,000 people using guns from like 19, the 1970s. Come on, son, come on. But of course, the elephant in the room, the biggest point is, Trump always used to talk about how he's in favor of ending the war in Afghanistan. Now, he was a liar, and he didn't end it, but Biden actually had the balls and the guts to more follow through on that, and Trump is blaming Biden and saying he should resign for carrying out a policy that Trump himself said he believed in a number of times? I mean, he's such a hack, and he's such an opportunist, and he's such a narcissist, and he twists everything. And, no, if anything... He should have came out and said, hey, it is what it is. I think the president made the right call. Afghanistan is none of our business because this is what he used to say all the time, all the time. So Trump had set up this this agreement where we were going to pull out by, I think, May 1st. But the the real pullout was still leaving like 2,000 troops there, so it wasn't really a full withdrawal. Um, And so if anything, again, Trump just didn't have the balls and the guts to follow through with a full withdrawal and now Biden does the thing that Trump only talked about, and Trump blames him for it. No, if you had stayed true to your campaign promise, you would have done exactly what Biden did. And by the way, if you did what Biden did, I would give you credit. Instead, just so everybody knows, um, it was Mike Pompeo and it was Donald Trump who released the guy who is the head of the Taliban. They released him, and now this guy is going to end up being the president. Now, by the way, I'm I'm not blaming him for that. I think that I agreed with Trump's attempt at diplomacy, where they actually had meetings with the Taliban. And um, I, I think if Trump didn't do that, then I would have urged Biden to do that. So I'm in favor of diplomacy. I'm in favor of it with North Korea. I'm in favor of it with the Taliban. I'm in favor of it, you know, almost everywhere. Very rarely do I think diplomacy is, is not a good idea. You could argue with the Nazis. It wasn't because there was just no appeasing them. There's nothing you could give them where they say, I'm good. They want global ambitions. The Taliban don't have global ambitions. They never did. Al-Qaeda does, ISIS does, the Taliban doesn't. So, yes, you're going to have to work with them, and, and it's part of the political reality in the area. So I don't blame Trump for that, but also it's kind of hilarious that he releases the guy who is now going to end up be, being the head of Afghanistan, or Talibanistan, as we should call it, and now he's turning around and blaming Biden. Again, blaming Biden for what? Following through on the thing you only, had, you only talked about, you only blew hot air on, you only did rhetoric on? So he deserves a lot of credit for following through on it now again the biggest failures of biden um the whole getting all of our, the interpreters and their families and stuff out all of our real allies who are not warlords with child sex slaves, all of our allies who really served us well the entire time there should have been a streamlined process you should have gotten all those people out that's the biggest failure that and the fact that you did have to like very you know at the last minute sort of rush in to get out the few remaining americans and contractors and whatever That's the biggest failure. But outside of those things, there's nothing else he could have done. Anything else would have been worse. The alternative of, like, staying there forever or staying there longer to do a more orderly withdrawal for the Taliban to take over eventually anyway? No, rip that Band-Aid off quickly. So, I mean, again, Trump is just such a hack. It's, It's astounding how big of a hack he is. He'll flip on anything. I mean, I know you guys aren't surprised by this, but... I guess I'm highlighting this point to argue you can never take a person like this seriously because Trump is just like Hillary Clinton, where Hillary would be on both sides of every single issue. Trump would be on both sides of every single issue. So now all of a sudden, what, what, Don, what should have happened? What would you have done differently? What would you have done differently? He could say, well, I would have kept the 2,000 troops there. Okay, but then you're not actually withdrawing. You are staying in Afghanistan, and you have to own that, but he wouldn't. You would leave the 2010 and pretend like, I withdrew. But you didn't. We still have troops there. We still have contractors there. So what would you have done differently? No, you said a number of times, ideally, you wanted to pull out. There were actually reports. I defended Trump on this. There were reports that after he lost the election, he basically was like, pull it, bring the troops home from everywhere. Bring them home from Somalia. Bring them home from Afghanistan. Bring them home from everywhere. And what happened is the generals intervened and were basically like, we're not going to do that. And he was like, okay, we're not going to do that. But I defended Trump on that. Yeah, you did that. And if you did that, if you followed through on that when you said it and they listened to you and they pulled out of Afghanistan, the same fucking thing would have happened then. And then you would have been defending the fall of Afghanistan, saying, hey, it's none of our business. But that would have been the correct position. But now he flips on it because he wants to attack Biden. No, I mean, he's a political animal. And obviously he wants to run in 2020, excuse me, 2024. How could he run in the past? Um, So, yeah, he's. He's just such a hack, and it's astounding. And I really do, at this moment, it really does look like Biden has no support, no allies. The entire Republican Party is going after him viciously, and they're all massively pro-war. All of political media is highlighting every single negative thing that's happening on the ground. Fair enough, but they didn't highlight, like the Afghanistan papers, for example, See, this is the thing. The, the, media, is, the media is manufacturing consent because the game is rigged. Everything that's negative that happens when we leave gets highlighted. All the negative stuff that happened when we were there did not get highlighted. Like, was there endless hair-on-fire coverage of this magnitude when we bombed Kunduz, killing 23 innocent civilians, we bombed a hospital? Remember that? When we learned that our, a lot of our allies are warlords with child sex slaves. That didn't lead to coverage like we're seeing right now when we learned about the looting and the corruption and the pillaging, like all the things that would expose how terrible the war effort was and would malign our motivations for being there in the first place, that stuff gets buried. It doesn't get a mention. Only the stuff that highlights how bad it is, you know, when we leave, that stuff gets highlighted because what? The end goal is to try to do propaganda or imply we should be back in there, we should have stayed longer or whatever. So it's just it's frustrating. It's frustrating um if donald trump was being honest he would say this guy had the balls to follow through on the thing i only talked about but he's not going to say that he's not going to say that so i and this is a rare issue where i totally agree with biden and nobody else is on his side so i'm gradually morphing into a biden bro but i'm i will be arguing for this until i'm blue in the face because biden is correct What else could he have done? There was no other thing that he could have done. No other thing he could have done. Could have stayed there longer, that would have been worse. Could have done a more orderly drawdown, but same end result anyway, the Taliban would have taken over. The problem is we didn't get out sooner. That's the problem. But even if you got out sooner, same thing would have happened, very obviously. So perhaps the real mistake was ever going in in the first place. You could have gotten Osama bin Laden without doing a full-scale war in Afghanistan. Absolutely. should have gone into Iraq either. And, you know, just stop and think, if we had that $6.5 trillion, if we had that, what could that have been spent on? But no. Even Trump, who pretended to be in favor of pulling out of Afghanistan, now when somebody actually does it, it's, you should resign in disgrace over it. Okay. Next. So I'm really frustrated watching the news when it comes to Afghanistan because the conventional wisdom is very, very clearly we should stay there forever or we should just stay there longer and do a more orderly drawdown, which would have led to the same result the Taliban would have eventually taken over anyway. Well, here's a great example. of this. Fox News is agitating for war. Uh, and now here you have CNN's Jake Tapper pushing Blinken on Afghanistan, but look at where the pressure comes from. Watch.
2: Secretary Blinken, as you know, the Taliban has closed in on Kabul. We're evacuating the embassy, burning documents. Biden increased troops deploying to the country twice in three days just to rescue those there. This is not just about the overall idea of leaving Afghanistan. This is about leaving hastily and ineptly. Secretary Blinken, how did President Biden get this so
4: wrong? Jake, first, let's put this in context. Uh, And as we've discussed before, we were in Afghanistan for one overriding purpose, Uh, to deal with the folks who attacked us on 9-11. That's why we went there 20 years ago. Uh, And over those 20 years, uh, we brought bin Laden to justice. Uh, We vastly diminished the threat posed by al-Qaeda in Afghanistan to the United States to the point where it's not capable of conducting such an attack again from Afghanistan. We are going to keep in place in the region the capacity to see any reemergence of a terrorist threat and to be able to deal with it. Uh, And on the terms that we went into Afghanistan in the first place, we succeeded in achieving our objectives. Uh, When the President uh, came to office, he had a decision to make. Uh, The previous administration negotiated an agreement with the Taliban that said that our forces, our remaining forces, only about 2,500, would be out of the country uh, on May 1st. And the idea that uh, the status quo could have been maintained uh, by keeping our forces there uh, I think is simply wrong. Uh, The fact of the matter is, had the President decided to keep forces in Afghanistan beyond May 1st, uh, attacks would have resumed on our forces. Uh, The Taliban had not been attacking our forces or NATO during the period uh, from which the agreement was reached to May 1st. The offensive you're seeing across the country now to take these provincial capitals uh, would have commenced, uh, and uh, we would have been back at war with the Taliban. And I'd probably be on this program today. Explaining why we were sending tens of thousands of American forces back into Afghanistan and back to war—something the American people simply uh, don't support—that is uh, the—that is the reality. Uh, That's the context that we're we're dealing with. You you cited the the May 1st deadline uh,
2: negotiated uh, by the Trump administration. You did blow back, blow through that deadline. We did have troops uh, there after uh, May 1st. Um, But I think again, the issue here is not just the withdrawal. Of U.S. forces, it's how they were withdrawn. There are reports from Afghanistan right now that they are forcing young girls into sexual slavery.
4: Jake, this is um, this is heart-wrenching stuff. Uh, I've met myself, uh, as I know you have, with uh, remarkable uh, women who've been leaders in Afghanistan uh, over the last uh, 20 years who've advanced the rights of women and girls. With are very, very strong support. I met with a number of them uh, just a few months ago, the last time I was in Kabul uh, this spring. I think it's incumbent on the international community, uh, including the United States, to do everything we can using every tool that we have, economic, diplomatic, political, uh, to work to sustain uh, their rights. Uh, And at the same time, as I said, uh, to make sure that uh, if the Taliban does not do that, if it's in charge, uh, that um, uh, it clearly faces uh, the penalties uh, for uh, for not upholding those rights, mm-hmm. uh, and we will do, we will do everything we can uh, to make sure that's the case.
2: Everything except for use the, the U.S. military. Uh, President Biden is intent on avoiding a Saigon moment.
1: You saw that little shot at the end there. You'll do everything except send the U.S. military. Of course, the implication being like, well, you should do that. Now, it, again, infuriating. He brings up. This, there are reports that the Taliban are forcing young girls into sexual slavery. And again, his solution, he implies, is we've got to send the U.S. troops in. Is he unaware that our allies were warlords with child sex slaves? Is he unaware of that? Is he unaware that when our military members blew the whistle on our allies who were warlords with child sex slaves, that they were discharged from the military? Is he aware of that? People were kicked out of the U.S. military for accurately pointing out our allies have child sex slaves. Everybody's against child sex slavery if they're just a bare minimum decent moral human being. The child sex slavery we can actively do something about are the people who are doing it who get our support and our money and our weapons. That's what happened. We gave people our support, our money, our weapons, and they did child sex slavery. And we could have just not given those people our support or money or weapons or taken them away. That's how you stop child sex slavery. You stop the child sex slavery that you're actively facilitating. But he's got nothing to say about that. What he does have something to say about is reports of the Taliban doing it. And, okay, so the answer is send in the U.S. military. You'll do everything but send in the U.S. military. So do you see the way the game is rigged here? Do you see that the answer is war? I forgot the question. Do you see that now? Do you see how they're agitating for more war, and making it seem like the common sense and the dumb position? Um, by the way, Blinken is right, and they better stick to this line because it's accurate. The whole reason we were told we're going into Afghanistan is to get bin Laden and get al-Qaeda. And mission accomplished. We got bin Laden and we got al-Qaeda, and we did it over a decade ago. Why are we still there? Why are we still there? And... You heard Tapper say a number of times. You repeat this throughout the interview. I mean, I, I, I guess the issue is not whether or not to get out of Afghanistan. The issue is how you got out of Afghanistan. It's how you did it. Okay, genius. How should they have done it? I'll wait. You tell me what your solution is that would avoid what we're currently seeing. Go ahead. I'll wait. He doesn't have an answer. Oh, well, the thing about the thing is you could have done it if you did it over the course of another year, and you did it in increments of 1,000 soldiers at a time, and you did it. (laughs) Look at how fast the entire country folded. 300,000 Afghanistan soldiers were trained by the U.S. and armed. cost $90 billion, and they folded in a week. And actually, they folded instantaneously. It just took a week for the Taliban to march all across the country. So it doesn't matter. There is no orderly withdrawal that would have averted this. The Taliban, excuse me, Afghanistan was going to become Talibanistan, whether it was now or five years ago or 10 years in the future or 35 years in the future. They were going to wait us out, and they were going to eventually take over. So there is no, if you're going to pull out, this is going to happen now. That gets us this uncomfortable place. If it doesn't matter when you pull out, if this is going to happen either way, well, what would the real neocon say? Effectively, we should just stay there forever. Some people are being open and honest about that. There's somebody on Twitter who said that. Lindsey Graham has talked about staying in Iraq forever. Some people will be honest and open about that fact. But if people are nitpicking what's happening now, ask them, what would you have done differently? And if you say, we should stay, just be honest about it and admit you mean forever. Because this was going to happen no matter when we left. So just admit you mean forever. Because then at least we're having an honest conversation where our positions are truly wrecked. My position is we should stop wasting U.S. lives and and U.S. money in Kabul and Kandahar, and we should rebuild our own infrastructure. We should totally get out of there and mind our own business. Your position could be, no, I think we should stay in Kabul and Kandahar and spend trillions of dollars and try to rebuild their thing and have it fall and collapse and prop up the empire. Okay. Alright. That at least at least we're honest, at least we're open about it. But there's a lot of people trying to have it both ways. There's a lot of no, I like I support the overarching goal of getting out, but just the way in which we got out is not the right way. Again, the only thing I would change is get out the US per, I would have just got out way sooner. I would have never went. Um or if I did go I would have been in and out in a very strict time frame and the goal would have been get bin Laden or whatever. Um, so The only thing i would change is the interpreters and their families like the people who are us allies there's a 14-step process for these people to get out of the country and go through immigration here i would have streamlined that process and everybody who helped us who is not a warlord with a child sex wave i would have brought him would have brought him here so that's the only big failure of of the Biden administration the rest of it there's no avoiding it and they're the ones who are ripping off the band-aid he's the one who actually had the balls and the guts to follow through with what obama only talked about and what trump only talked about so In a weird way, this is, I've never been more supportive of Biden than in this moment right now, especially because all I see is the entire Republican establishment coming after him, the Democratic establishment either going after him or being quiet, the left flank is just being quiet, cowards, weasels, Um, and the entire media is going after him, even his nominal allies like CNN and MSNBC. So I hope he doubles down, I hope he triples down, but you never know because, He's going to have to address it sooner or later, and he could fold to the pressure. We'll have to wait and see. But, of course, you have CNN agitating from the right against Biden. Okay, here we go. So Joe Biden has actually pulled out of Afghanistan. I didn't think he would really do it. But now he's effectively really done it. So credit where it's due. Now, every single person in Washington, D.C., in the swamp, has abandoned him. So this is a report from the Daily Beast, and we learn that the Democratic caucus increasingly feels that the White House really screwed this up. A Democratic official told the Daily Beast, even Biden's allies think he screwed up Afghanistan. The Democratic caucus now feels that the White House has really screwed this up. Okay, so... um, these, these people are cowards, and these people are weasels. And also a lot of them take money from the military-industrial complex, which would explain why some of them are on the side of, no, you should have stayed longer, and you know, you should have uh, either stayed permanently or stayed a little longer or withdrew in a more orderly way or whatever they would say. Um, some of them are corrupt, but a lot of them are just scaredy cats, and they're wimps, and they're weasels, and they're cowards, and um, they don't want to tie themselves to what's viewed as a political failure right now. Well, guess what? Guess what? As Nate Cohn of the New York Times pointed out, everybody's comparing this to Saigon, what happened in Vietnam. Okay. The lesson of Saigon was not, we should have stayed there longer or forever or withdrew in a different way. The lesson was, wow, Vietnam, the entire project of Vietnam was a colossal failure. That was, that was the takeaway from Vietnam. People are bringing up Saigon, but not connecting those other dots. Furthermore, Ford was president when that happened in Vietnam. Guess what? Even though maybe the media at the time and everybody was acting like this is so shameful and embarrassing for the United States, Ford's approval rating a month later went up. So the American people did not blame him for it. They didn't blame him for it. So what I would say to everybody who has ever said anything anti-war on Afghanistan, and they're in the left, the left. ...on the left flank in Congress. By the way, Rand Paul, who says he's anti-war, are you going to speak up in support of Biden? You should. Matt Gaetz, who pretends to be anti-war, are you going to speak up in favor of Biden here? You should. You should. But all of, like, the Congressional Progressive Caucus or the Justice Democrats, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? The only thing Biden should have done differently is streamline that process. There's a 14-step process for our interpreters and their family members and whatnot to get into the U.S. Take the 88,000, bring them in, streamline the process, be done. So save the people who are our allies, who are not child, or not warlords with child sex plays. the only thing I would have done differently. Outside of that, I would defend every angle of this, every single angle. We were told we're going into Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden. He's been dead since 2011. We're told we're, we went into Afghanistan to defeat al-Qaeda. There's less than 100 al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan. And that's as of a decade ago. So why are we there? Why are we there? What's the reason? What's the real reason? So mission accomplished from what we were told is the reason. So now am I supposed to take away from this that the position of the left flank in Congress is that we should indefinitely stay in these places? Is that the takeaway? Because I'm hearing silence. And if I hear silence, that means you're not defending Biden. So where are you guys? Where are you guys? What everybody needs to understand And the left should be screaming this from the rooftops. What everybody needs to understand is, if we left in 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, 2021, 2032, 2048, or 2059, whenever we left, clearly Afghanistan was going to fold because it's a fake country that we propped up. It was going to fold, and it was going to become Talibanistan. So if that was going to happen, no matter what, then the options are either stay there forever, waste trillions of dollars in U.S. lives, or get out and rip the Band-Aid off quickly. Why would you punish the guy who has the ball to actually fall through on that? Why wouldn't you defend that guy? Why wouldn't you make an argument? This is how we get to the point where the conventional wisdom in Washington is always pro-war. Because even the left flank who should be making the argument, now is to be found. Where are you guys? Why are none of you guys making the arguments? Why are none of you guys pointing out things that we've pointed out on this show before? Um, it costs $90 billion to train 300,000 Afghan soldiers. Why are none of you pointing out how big of a waste that was and how this was a giant scam? Why are you not pointing out how big of a waste it was that we dropped 7,423 bombs in Afghanistan in 2019 alone? Why are you not pointing out how big of a waste it was that we just armed an entire military and now the Taliban has access to all those weapons, making it a well-equipped equipped army now? Why are you not pointing out how 300,000 people ran away from 75,000 people? Uh, how, how is that on us? That's not on us. They don't want to defend their own country, so it's on somebody from Arkansas to defend their country for them. Why are you not pointing out that we had a multi-million dollar compound in Kandahar that we never used? Why are you not pointing out that at the school for money for Afghan schools uh, ended up going to warlords in the Taliban? Why are you not pointing out that some U.S. troops went to the same war as their children? Their children—that's how long this war has gone on. Why are you not pointing out that in the middle of the Afghanistan war, it was so unpopular, it was more unpopular than Vietnam. It had less than a 20% approval rating. Why are you not pointing that out if you're the left flank of Congress? Why are you not pointing out that our allies, a lot of our allies were warlords with child sex slaves? Why are you not pointing that out? Why are you not pointing out that you pretend to care about women's rights? Everybody's pretending to care about women's rights. Saudi Arabia is our top ally, and they have no women's rights. You don't say anything about about it there, but when it comes to Afghanistan, all of a sudden you care? No, 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 no. Why are you not pointing out this has a lot more to do with the trillions of dollars in mineral wealth and opium? In the case of Iraq, it has to do with oil. And it has to do with the military-industrial complex. And it has to do with China and Russia and imperialism. Why are none of the people on the left in Congress pointing this out? You guys all know this. You, any, I know many of them have watched this show in the past, so you know some of this stuff. Well, where are you? Where are you? The one time Biden does something that's brave and correct. And nobody's defending him. Nobody. You wonder why people don't want to do correct things. Because they feel politically isolated and alone when they do the right thing. Is it Biden's fault that the Taliban has taken over all these cities? No. Not at all. It was going to happen no matter what. If Trump had the ball to pull out, it would have happened under him. And guess what? I would have defended Trump then too. Because I'm principled. And I actually care about the issues. Everybody abandoned him. Everybody abandoned him over the best thing he's ever done, and so that makes it more likely he might fold. That's what's possible. Now he might fold. I hope he doesn't. I hope he doubles down and triples down and quadruples down, but it does make it more likely he'll fold when he has no allies. The funny thing is all of the talking points of uh, the Biden administration are factual now. They're giving interviews, and they're saying, we were told the original reason was to get bin Laden or to get al-Qaeda. Well, we got bin Laden and we got al-Qaeda. Why are we still there? Yes! They're repeating an argument we've made on this show a number of times! And they have no backing from the left flank? Unbelievable, man. Truly unbelievable. It's the best thing he's done. And he's getting shit for it. And don't, guys, don't fall for any of the the, the process argument bullshit things. Because that's... Nothing's more nitpicky and ridiculous. It's not that you withdrew, it's how you withdrew. (laughs) Okay, genius, tell us how you would have done it in a way that would have avoided the Taliban taking over the country. They took it over in 12 and a half seconds. You think there's any way you could have orderly withdrawn where that wasn't going to happen? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Guys, there is no real left, and that's a shame. I want to remind you what the Afghanistan paper, what we learned in the Afghanistan papers. Again, credit to Crystal for um, going back to the Afghanistan papers, pulling out a lot of these quotes. But um, General Douglas Lute, the White House's Afghan war czar under Bush and Obama, said, quote, we didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. Um, Senior NSC official about the surge in Afghanistan said, quote, it was impossible to grade good metrics. We tried using troop numbers, trained violence levels, control of territory, and none of it painted an accurate picture. The metrics were always manipulated for the duration of the war. Quote, if the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost, who will say this was in vain? Every data point was altered to to present the best possible picture. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and we became a self-licking ice cream cone. That's Colonel Bob Crowley, Senior Counterinsurgency Advisor. Quote, our biggest single project, sadly and inadvertently, of course, may have been the, the, the development of mass corruption. Ryan Crocker, Ambassador to Afghanistan under Bush and Obama. They all knew, they all knew every step of the way, this was a scam. We have no goal. We have no aim. We're doing permanent occupation. The military-industrial complex is getting rich as a result of it. A lot of people are are making a lot of money, and people are dying. It was a fake country we propped up. It was a complete house of cards, as evidenced by the fact it fell in three seconds. For the left not to point this stuff out, is criminal. And you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. They see that the entire media is against Biden, the entire media, and they see that Republicans, all Republicans are against Biden and the Democratic establishment is against Biden. So they're scared. They don't want the media to dogpile them. Grow a spine, grow, grow a backbone, get out there and fight for the correct position because Biden is right. It is the correct position and he deserves credit for sticking to it. All right, let me take a quick break when we come back. Um... We are finally off of Afghanistan. Oh, no, wait, one more thing. We'll do one more Afghanistan thing, and then we're finally off it. Stay right there, y'all. We'll be right back with a hell of a lot more. bitch, we back. Sorry for the long break. I didn't eat anything yet today, and now I did. All right, here we go. Here we go. Last story on Afghanistan. President Biden is going to be haunted by a couple of dead-wrong predictions he had on Afghanistan. Watch.
5: Is
6: the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not
7: inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That
6: is not true. They it, did not reach that conclusion.
1: Got to keep it real. He was just wrong. He was wrong about that stuff. No doubt about it. But what I will say is he should have made the argument that I made on this show a number of times, which is it's still none of our business. Sorry, I mean that's like that's that's the reality of the situation. We've already been there twenty years. How much longer should we stay there? We've already been there twenty years. What do you want? Twenty two? Twenty four? Twenty eight? Thirty nine? Fifty? What's How long would you like to stay there? And what's the goal? What's the point? Why are we there? So the real argument should have been, yeah, maybe my intelligence uh, said that, and maybe they're right. But there are 300,000 Afghan soldiers, and we spent $90 billion equipping them. So if they ain't ready now, they're never going to be ready. And then you have to ask the question, should we stay there forever? My answer to that is no. What's your answer? So in other words, you should say, even if the worst-case scenario happens, what are you going to do? It's none of our business. It's none of our business. Look at the polls on this. We live in what's supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy. Well, the numbers are overwhelming, and they've been for over a decade. Americans don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. So we're going to get out. That's what we're going to do. And I'm representing the will of the people. And even if the worst-case scenario happens, so be it. I feel bad for everybody who's in that situation, but, okay, you have... All of what you need in order to prevent that from happening. So if you want to prevent the Taliban takeover, we've given you the tools. Only you can take it from here. So good luck. So he didn't make that argument. He should have made that argument, but he didn't. And now, you know, he looks silly because it was a very bold, you know, very definitive and bold answer. And he was just wrong. So um, as I'm recording this segment now, I just got the news that later today... Um, Biden is going to give an address on Afghanistan. Oh, my God, I hope he doubles down. I hope he triples down. I hope he says we're staying out of there. And I hope he makes the comparison to Vietnam and says, yeah, it is like Vietnam, and that's why I pulled out of it, because we shouldn't have been in there in the first place. hope he does that. You never know, because there's nothing – there's just – everybody's against him right now, Democratic establishment, Republican establishment, and all political media. So let's hope he sticks to his guns, but this is the worst – this is the worst of his predictions for sure. Like he got this one dead wrong. And the only other thing I would have changed, as I told you guys, is I would have streamlined the process to get out our interpreters and our allies who are not warlords with child sex slaves. Anybody who helped the U.S. government and was an interpreter and their families, I bring them in. We only got out 2,000 when there's like 88,000. So that was a big failure. Should have addressed that. Outside of that and the wrong predictions, you know, I support the getting out, no matter what the consequences are. I support getting out. Okay, that's it. Last Afghanistan story. Now let's move on. Fox News let the mask slip a little bit. Laura Ingram had on this guy from, I think, the show Bar Rescue or something like that. And um, look at the, the hatred and the disdain they have for regular working people.
5: Well, what if, what if we just cut off the unemployment? I mean, hunger is, a, it, hunger is a pretty powerful thing. I don't mean physical hunger, because people who truly in, are in need need help. I'm talking about people who can work but refuse to work. But the government is is literally putting anvils, in many ways, on people's shoulders, either through the mandates, relations, and now through free money, which obviously we're all going to... The piper eventually has to be paid. Uh, John, John, I want to ask you, though, about... This, this idea of work-life balance, because look, no one wants to miss their kids growing up. No one wants to, you, know, you stay in the office your whole life, and you, you, you never see your family. So I, that's really important. However, have we taken that a step too far when you think of, well, a lot of the millennials talking about, oh, I need time for self-care. I don't know why I'm harping on that tonight, but the whole self-care movement is a little, I mean, my mother's not with us anymore, but she worked by the time she was 12, during the depression, If she heard the self-care thing, I think her head would explode.
4: You know, I think that's right. I have a friend in the
8: military who trains military dogs, Laura, and they only feed a military dog at night because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. Well, if we're not causing people to be hungry to work, then we're providing them with all the meals they need sitting at
4: home. I'm completely with you, Laura. These benefits make absolutely no sense.
1: Wow. Wow comparing the American people to military dogs who they only feed at night because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. They're letting you know they want you, your whole purpose, your whole existence on this earth. You need to be an obedient dog. You need to be a mindless drone worker who just does what you're told. That's what they think of you. That's what they think of you. Listen, I actually think uh, this is one of the more honest moments on Fox News, because I I remember when I first got into politics growing up, looking at the the dialogue and the discourse, yes, you did get the sense this was the entire conservative Republican position. Every elected conservative Republican, to one extent or another, thinks of working people like this, thinks of Americans like this, thinks of the middle class like this, thinks of the poor and the homeless like this. They view you as less than them. They view you as a, a peasant. They view you as below the, you know, elite owner class. That's how they look at you. Be an obedient dog. Be an obedient worker. Shut up and do what you're told. And, I mean, listen, I all I can say is I could not disagree any more than I already do with their horrendous philosophy. Couldn't disagree more with it. Couldn't disagree more with it. Because I even – even when those stories were coming out saying that, hey – unemployment ticked up a little bit when we got, like, the stimulus checks and we got uh, the, the extra unemployment benefits and the child tax credit and stuff. I looked at those stories and I thought, well, that means people finally have a little bit of cushion to determine what they really want to do with their lives. And so, yeah, the unemployment rate ticked up a little bit because a lot of the people were like, I don't really like my job and I want to find a new job. I want to find something I actually care about. And so they have, finally had a little bit of cushion to go down that path. Conservatives looked at that and were like, that's bad. We should force these people back into their shitty jobs that they don't like. I looked at that and said, great, now they have a little bit of cushion. Remember the UBI study from Stockton, California. What did we find? There was a guy who was working a job that he hated. When he got the $500 a month, he finally had a little bit of a cushion to take a couple days off to look for a new job. Found a new job. He loves the new job. This is what I want. I want people to find meaning and purpose in life. I don't just want you to, you know, go do something that you don't like you don't enjoy, make yourself miserable and depressed and anxiety-ridden, why would I want that? But again, they look at this and say, we don't even want you to have a cushion to determine what you want to do. We just want to force you into the workforce. And we want you to be hungry, quite literally. I mean, what's-her-face said that early on? Laura Ingram, cut off the unemployment. Hunger is a powerful thing. Then she tries to soften it and says, I don't mean like hunger, hunger. I mean like, you know, you know what I'm saying. No, I, I don't know what you're saying. What you're saying is, you would prefer people be hungry so you could force them to do stuff. So you know It's like, earn, earn your dollar. Well, again, if, if minimum wage jobs are not, don't pay a living wage, it's not the, pers- the fault of the individual person. It's not a moral failing on their part. It's not a character flaw. It's not that they don't have discipline or they're not driven. It's that the whole system sucks where the job where you work full time doesn't pay you enough to survive. But they have nothing to say about that. Because they would prefer you be in a situation like that. If you're providing people with all the meals they need, that's gross. I mean, that's what that guy's saying. He's like, why would you provide people with all the meals they need? Because they're human beings, and they deserve it, and it's the right thing to do, and it's the moral thing to do, and it's the ethical thing to do, and you shouldn't have to struggle in the world's richest country or one of the world's richest countries. I have a friend of mine in the military. They only feed those dogs at night. So that's how we should treat American workers. Make them obedient dogs, obedient workers. I have a lot more hope for people than to just be mindless drones pushing numbers around on a computer screen or standing in some assembly line shutting their brain off. No, I want you to be happy with what you do. I want you to feel productive. I want you to have meaningful, purposeful existence um, because that brings about happiness. Humans flourish when they feel like they have meaning and purpose in their lives. Um, They couldn't care about the lower classes or the middle class finding meaning or purpose. They just want order in society and that means you shut up and do what you're told and just really provide for these more upper-class folks because that's how they view you. It's the most elitist position you could ever imagine and don't ever let them try to get away with that fake populist bullshit where they pretend like they're for regular people because look at what they said here. Okay. Oh, this is great. This is great. Rudy Giuliani. Mm. Rudy Giuliani and Mike Lindell and who's the other one? There's one other. Lynn Wood, Sidney Powell. I don't remember. But um, these people have been going hardcore, all in, 100% down the path of stop the steal, the election's a conspiracy, Trump really won, um, Biden stole it, and all that stuff. Well, Dominion voting decided. We've had enough of this. Now, they either sued One American News Network or Newsmax, and they threatened a lawsuit of Fox. And So they're suing anybody and everybody who's making these claims because the claims are not true. Now, I don't think you should have private companies involved in, in a public election, but they are there. So I would change that and not have them in there, but they are in there, and they feel as if this is total defamation and libel and slander, and they're ruining our prospects at having a business model going forward. So they're suing people left and right. Well, guess what? Here's what we just learned. U.S. District Court D.C. Judge Carl Nichols today denied a motion by Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Mike Lindell to dismiss 2020 election defamation suit filed against them by Dominion Voting Systems. So, in other words, the defamation suit can proceed. Do you know how insane the claims have to be for a defamation suit to proceed? The United States is notorious for having lax speech laws. By the way, correctly, I like that. I prefer that. I'm a, I'm a First Amendment bro. I'm a free speech absolutist. So for, this, for the judge to look at this and say, I'm not dismissing this. this, this is legit. Like, there's a real case here that says a lot about how much these people were full of shit and were wrong and were arguably malicious. So Some of the theories are that, you know, Dominion voting was controlled by Venezuela, and they flipped the vote count in certain states. These people really believe that Maduro swung a U.S. election to get his ally Biden in there. Who can even be dumb enough to think that Biden is Maduro's ally? Who could be that dumb? It's hard for me to wrap my mind around anybody being that dumb. But there are some people out there, so that's one of the claims they made. Um, I love the Mike Lindell thing where he claimed that he had proof that it was flipped in this county. They went and talked to the head of the election in that county, and they were like, we're not even connected to the internet. And the claim was that China hacked the voting machines, but they're not even on the internet. How could China have hacked voting machines? It makes no sense. Now, I left the... Best fact for last for you guys. You're going to love this. So defamation case proceeds, which means there is a case there, which means even with our lax laws on free speech, a judge is like, there might be merit here, and you may have somehow broken the law by defaming this company. The judge who made the decision is a Trump-appointed judge. Oh, oh. So, if anything, if he were biased, he would be inclined to be on the side of Trump and uh, act in a way where perhaps he already dismisses this case. But, no, he didn't. He sided with Dominion voting systems because he said what they argued was just that egregious, and it may be defamatory. Now, ultimately, listen, ultimately, I don't think that – they're going to be found guilty. I don't think Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Mike Lindell are going to be found guilty. Um, but, but the argument they're going to have to make is the same one that Tucker Carlson used in court and the same one that Rachel Maddow used in court, which is like, this isn't literal. This is really hyperbolic. No reasonable person would think this is factually correct. And you're allowed to... You're ba- basically, the argument is like right to lie. There's like a right to lie or a right to be egregiously, preposterously wrong or a right to use hyperbole. That's going to be the argument that they have to make. And I think when they make that argument, it'll work. But I think it says a lot in and of itself that the election conspiracy theories were so insane and so ludicrous that even a Trump-appointed judge was like, sorry, guys, dominion is correct, and you really are defaming them. Or at least there's a case to be heard here. This can proceed in court. So Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Mike Lindell, they're absolutely insane. And um, now it's sort of backed up by a U.S. District Court D.C. judge appointed by Donald Trump. Okay, next. Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, she was suspended recently from, I believe, was it YouTube or Twitter? I did, We did a segment on it, but my brain is so bad that I can't even remember which thing she was banned from. Oh, Rand Paul was banned from YouTube. Marjorie Taylor Green, it was Twitter for the third time, I believe. Uh, so she went on uh, right-wing outlet here, and she's going to effectively double down on her comments on vaccines.
7: me And that's why I'm saying there's more research needed by the FDA before the FDA approves these vaccines. Because here's the problem, Anna. Once the vaccines are approved by the FDA, FDA, we are going to see the mandates for vaccines ramp up far more than they are right now. They're going to be mandated, and I fear they'll become law in some cities and some states. Uh, Biden would love to make it the law of the land. And I think that's completely wrong. Again, I'm not anti-vax.
1: Let me run that from the top, guys. Hold on, here we
7: go. So this is concerning to me, and that's why I'm saying there's more research needed by the FDA before the FDA approves these vaccines. Because here's the problem, Anna. Once the vaccines are approved by the FDA, we are going to see the mandates for vaccines ramp up far more than they are right now. They're going to be mandated and I fear they'll become law in some cities and some states. Uh, Biden would love to make it the law of the land. And I think that's completely wrong. Again, I'm not anti vax I am completely for people being allowed to make choices, medical choices for themselves and their families. And I don't think the FDA should approve a vaccine that, that it doesn't seem to be that effective, especially with COVID-19 raging all over the country. At least that's what the media tells us every single day. Um, but I've talked to local hospitals here in my district and here in my state. Yes, the, the waiting rooms get full, but guess what? The waiting rooms are full um, of all kinds of things, not just COVID, some, you know, car accidents, trauma, uh, other illnesses, cancer, and so forth. Uh, but they're seeing about 30% of those numbers being COVID cases. So while the news tries to tell us the hospitals are slam-packed with COVID, that's just not the case. Everyone needs to get back down, uh, back down to common sense and remember that, you know, we're human, we, we can't live forever, we're going to catch all kinds of diseases and illnesses and other viruses, and we get hurt sometimes. Um, so I, I'm also, let's, let's be rational with this, let's be careful, let's be cautious, and let's not turn into an authoritarian regime that forces uh, shots and arms
1: of people that don't want it. I mean, there's so much to say about this. The last point about, like, we're going to become an authoritarian regime. Where were you when, uh, you know, the Patriot Act happened and the NSA spies on absolutely everybody? I haven't heard her talk much about that. That's pretty authoritarian. Where do you stand on the drug war, which locks up so many people for nonviolent offenses? We incarcerate more people in this country than anybody else in the world. That seems pretty authoritarian to me. It's pretty authoritarian that our commander-in-chief can just wage war wherever he wants, whether it's you know, the drone bombings in Somalia. There was no vote in Somalia about whether or not to go to war there. That seems pretty authoritarian that the commander-in-chief has all this power and very few checks and balances, even though it's supposed to go through Congress, a declaration of war, oftentimes they just skirt that and ignore it. Where were you on that? Where were you on torture? Trump was pro-torture. Bush did torture. Guantanamo Bay, that's all authoritarian. Are you against Guantanamo Bay being open? Just use the buzzwords whenever it suits her own political ideology and beliefs. Now, by the way, to this point, I'm unaware of any uh, government that is mandating vaccines for all. Like, the federal government has not mandated every American get the vaccine. The federal government, I think they have mandated that federal workers, so people who are employed by the federal government need to get the vaccine. And individual like companies have made that decision. But this fear of authoritarianism, I don't really buy. And there's also a stretch. It's also a stretch when it comes to public safety and health things, because, you know, you could argue what is, is seatbelt is are having seatbelts authoritarian, like you're mandated by law to wear the seatbelt when you drive, because that is the government sort of telling you what to do when you're in your own car. I, I mean, I guess there's a stretch argument that that's authoritarian, but don't you think that's a little hyperbolic to use that term for that? Would it really be hyperbolic to, like, if they, we talked about this in the context of the military. Um, They've now, uh, that now there's a vaccine mandate for the military. But, like, there was already, like, a polio vaccine mandate, measles vaccine mandate, smallpox vaccine mandate. So were all those things authoritarian? Were they already authoritarian, and now the COVID one is just adding this cherry on top of the authoritarianism, or do you think those are not authoritarian, only the COVID one is authoritarian? I mean, it's just, I think it's hyperbolic. And of course, you only limit this specifically to, to COVID stuff. Now, so let's go through some of the comments. She said, waiting rooms are full of all kinds of things, not just COVID, car accidents, trauma, cancer. Um, I think she genuinely believes that like, yeah, the emergency rooms are overflowing, but it's not really because of COVID, which is astonishingly stupid. I mean, that is just mind-numbingly stupid because you don't hear stories about waiting rooms, you know, overflowing all around the country when there's not a pandemic. It's only during the pandemic at various times that waiting rooms have been overflowing. You want to know why? Because of the pandemic, because of the illness, because of the virus. So I don't know. I mean, I think she might be dumb enough to actually believe that. No, there's just – we're a lot of – there's been a lot of car accidents in Louisiana recently, bro. By the way that's the state that i've been reading recently about how they they're running out of of beds because of covid i guess she really believes hey maybe there's just a lot of car accidents or something whatever oh my god she's so dumb um so she said this is something i hear on the right a lot now the fda didn't approve the vaccine the fda didn't give it final authorization but they did authorize it for emergency use the only reason why it hasn't gotten final authorization is because it's a it's a very long process to get to that point, and we have it hasn't been long enough yet. That's the only reason why. But obviously, all the evidence, all the data, all the studies show these vaccines work, and they work really well, they wouldn't have been approved for emergency use if that wasn't the case. They just wouldn't have been. So they omit that part, that it's approved for emergency use, to stress the latter point of, like, well, it hasn't gotten final authorization yet. They think that's like a trump card in the debate where – better to be anti-vax. And then I like how even she says, quote, I'm not anti-vax. I'm for people being able to make medical choices for themselves. Oh, you are? Okay, so are you in favor of people being able to choose whether or not to terminate a pregnancy? I can't hear you over your wrongness. No. They like to use that that kind of choice rhetoric only when it comes to this. They don't use it when it comes to Um, contraception or abortion or things of that nature. So the the worst thing, uh, this will be the final point on this, but the worst thing is when she says it doesn't seem to be that effective because that is just factually not true. This really is a pandemic of the unvaccinated now. The numbers are staggering. If you're vaccinated, you have very sufficient protection where you're very likely to not get covid but even if you do get it, you're likely to either be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. So the breakthrough cases are really small. And remember, every time we talk about vaccines, the most important thing that we talk about is um, protection from hospitalization, severe illness, and death. Those are really the things that, that are important. And every single vaccine is well over 90% for those things and everyone, whether it's AstraZeneca, which is the UK one, the Johnson & Johnson, which is the single-shot US one, the Pfizer, the Moderna, uh, even like the Russian vaccine, they're all over 90% effective against severe illness and death. So she just doesn't know what she's talking about. It doesn't seem to be that effective. That's just absolute nonsense. Um, uh, I mean, she's wrong. She's always been wrong on this stuff. It's embarrassing. But I will say, I really hope that YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and all of them, stop banning people for just being wrong. Because they've been doing that now, and it's getting a little ridiculous. Like, they banned Rand Paul. Now, Rand Paul made a lot of comments that were overreaching and dumb and silly, but um, they claim they banned him for saying masks don't work. But really, you had uh, Biden's own advisor on this, uh, Dr. Alsterholm, who's an expert on the virus. He said effectively the same thing, that cloth masks, cloth masks don't really work that well. That really, you know, top of the line is like the N95s, and there's a hierarchy of masks, and at the bottom are the cloth masks. So you can't ban Rand Paul for saying that, or just being wrong, and he was wrong about a lot of stuff he said on COVID, but YouTube banned him for a week, excuse me, over that So even though I think these people are wrong, I do think it's dangerous. I do think they're spreading misinformation. The only way you defeat misinformation is to engage with it and explain why it's incorrect. And they don't do that. They'd rather just ban them and be lazy. So don't ban her, but yes, let's play her comments and make fun of her ruthlessly because she should be made fun of because she's wrong about all this. Let me get this guy's name. I know I have it somewhere over here. Here we go. Ned Price is the State Department spokesperson, and he was questioned by Matt Lee of the Associated Press. Um, This is on the issue of press freedom, the First Amendment, and Julian Assange. So the Biden administration loves to pat themselves on the back about how they believe in freedom of the press and they abide by those principles. And, of course, they don't. Look at this exchange here.
8: I just wanted to ask you real, really quickly uh, about the situation with Julian Assange uh, in London – the, the court hearing that was held today. And if you're only going to refer to the Justice Department, I don't need to hear a long explanation of, uh, of that. But I just – what I want to know is from the State Department's point of view, because it was State Department equities that were – along with the first uh, – that were compromised Uh, "Quote unquote," Um, I mean, you have you have an interest, and the the State Department has an interest in this case. And so, I'm just wondering if it is still uh, if it is still the position of the State Department that uh, Assange is not a journalist and that he is uh, he should be tried um, for theft of uh, what are what you would essentially say are state secrets.
5: Matt, by referring to the Department of Justice, as we always do in cases like this, it doesn't, yeah, no, indicate, no, it actually, doesn't indicate we don't have an interest. Uh, it indicates that we have a respect uh, for um, the separation yeah, of institutions
3: and the independence of the our The position department.
8: of this administration, since they came in talking about how important the fr- freedom of press is, has, uh, that has not impacted the... Um, the department's uh, position in this case. Is that correct? This is a matter for the Department of Justice. It's a matter of the Department of yeah, Justice. It's not a matter before the Department of Justice. It's a matter before the British courts. But, but it, I just want to know if your position, the State Department's position, that you represent to the Department of Justice, who then represents you, uh, has, has changed at all. Uh,
1: Matt, the Department well, of Justice is pursuing this? Um, I will leave it to them to pursue and to characterize the
5: United States government's position on this.
4: Uh, okay,
8: so the State Department's position hasn't changed. Correct? Matt, the Department of Justice uh, is speaking uh, for the United States in a long... Can why, why can't you answer? Yes. <laughs> yes or no? Has it changed or not over the course of the last... The month, Department of Justice... In this matter, I am fully a aware, Ned. Matt, you don't
1: need to be combated. Okay, I, you don't know need to be I, combated. I, I know you like to get worked up, but it's a simple to matter. Be it's before it, the it, Department it, of
0: Justice.
1: It's, cool. it's amazing when you realize that the people who run the U.S. government and are the most powerful people in the world—they um, have the sophistry ability of a 14-year-old contrarian student. Mm-hmm arguing with the teacher. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. Yeah, I don't want to hear a single word from anybody in the U.S. government about respecting human rights and respecting freedom of the press and journalists if you're also going to go after Julian Assange and if you're also going to go after Edward Snowden. I don't want to hear it because that's the real test of your principles. Guys, the test of your principles is always When is it most difficult to apply them? And for the U.S. government, they feel like, well, Julian Assange released state secrets, things that should have been top secret and classified information. Now, really, he exposed how the U.S. was committing war crimes and laughing about it. We got the video of it, thanks to Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange. So he exposed the state secrets that showed the U.S. government acting in an illegal and unconstitutional way, Um, The real test of whether or not you really believe in the principle of a free press is, okay, now the guy's coming after you. How are you going to react? And, of course, the U.S. reacted like every other authoritarian government. They cracked down on the dissent, and they cracked down on the free flow of information, of the embarrassing information. That's what they did. And so it's easy to say, oh, I believe in free speech and a free press when it comes to fucking Iran or any of our – official state enemies, it's difficult when you actually have to apply those standards to yourself. And they didn't apply that standard to themselves, and so now they have to weasel their way out of any questions uh, involving it. And listen, you lose all credibility. And it's obvious you lose all credibility. You've had other authoritarians who are violently suppressing their own press They've cited U.S. can't say anything on this. Look at what's going on with Julian Assange. Where was it? Was Azerbaijan? Was it the leader of Azerbaijan was saying that in an interview that we covered recently? So it's just pathetic. We need to actually abide by these nice values that we pretend to believe in because that's how you create a better world and that's how um, you act in a virtuous and ethical and moral way. And we don't do it. And it's so easy to see, see through it. Virtually anybody can see through it at this point. Okay. This is really something. There is a German nurse suspected of giving thousands of saline solution shots instead of COVID vaccines to people. So a nurse working in Friesland, Germany like we gave around 8,600 people, a fake shot, local officials said. Wow, 8,600 people. So um, the first thing that comes to mind is like, well, why the hell did you get involved in this field? If you're a nurse, it's hard to imagine that there are nurses who are anti-vaccine. Like, your job in many instances is to give the vaccine. I don't understand how you... That's like saying I'm a soldier, but I don't believe in violence. Like, that's sort of your whole job, bro. Why'd you sign up for it? It's astonishing. It's astonishing. So let me read you a little bit uh, from People Magazine here. The nurse who officials did not name was likely able to swap the vaccine vials because she was, quote, responsible for the preparation of vaccines and the preparation of syringes during her work hours in the vaccination center. That's crazy. Police found that the nurse was motivated... Uh, was, quote, motivated to oppose the vaccine and had shared skeptical views of vaccines on social media. As of August 9th, about 55 percent of Germans are fully vaccinated and 62.5 percent have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel uh, gave those stats. She also announced new rules that require people to be vaccinated or have a recent negative test to go to a restaurant, salon, or gym. Those very strict rules. And in October, the country will stop offering free COVID-19 tests to people who are unvaccinated. Um, So she goes on, by the way, what we learned is she says, no, not true. I, I only did it with the one that I was caught doing it with. That's what the nurse says. Apparently the police say there were at least six examples that they know for sure. Six times she did it. But again, if she was in charge of prepping it and she gave thousands and thousands of shots, how do we know it's not all of them? So, They actually sent out something in the media to warn the people who got shots from her to go get another one. And so they are. A lot of the people actually are doing that. But, yeah, it's amazing. Now, by the way, the saline solution, nothing bad happens when you put the saline solution in them. So people, you know, there wasn't, like, adverse reactions with all the 8,000 or whatever. But it, it was basically just placebo stuff. And, by the way, a lot of the people who she gave the shots to were senior citizens. So, I mean, it's really astounding. The best defense you can make for her is that she is totally convinced that this vaccine is deadly and bad for people and will give them more problems, and so she views herself as like a hero trying to save them. But, I mean, obviously, needless to say, that flies in the face of all the evidence and the data and the studies and what we know. So, really, she's just wrong, and she's imposing her own personal beliefs on people who clearly disagree because they went to go get the vaccine so i don't know Uh, there haven't been charges yet i'm very interested what's going to happen because it doesn't isn't this like a legal gray area like are there are there laws on the covid vaccine or vaccinating people fakely vaccinating people i don't know i really have no idea but it seems like it should be illegal but i don't really know if it is or what they can go after her for but wow That's really something else. If it really is that high of a number, 8,600, like, whoa. Doing this from the beginning of the time that, you know, we had the vaccine, and just so many people thought they got it, but they didn't. Okay. All right, let's go after... Joseph Biden. So Joe Biden um, gave another one of his zombie press conferences, his uh, half-asleep press conference. This is a while ago now, just catching up. Um, And in this press conference, he said something that nominally sounds like Bernie Sanders. Let's watch, and then I'll break it down. Let
6: me close with this. I've long said health care should be a right, not a privilege in this country. With my Build Back Better plan, we have an opportunity to come together and get us even closer to that reality. And the American people support it by overwhelming bipartisan margins. This isn't a partisan issue. Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, they don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. This is about whether or not you and your loved ones can afford prescription of drugs you need. I look forward to Congress getting this done.
1: So he says health care is a right and not a privilege. And he says his plan gets us closer to having health care as a right. You're the president of the United States of America. If Biden wanted to, through executive order, he could expand Medicare to everybody. Through executive order, he could do it. But he's not doing it. He's not even doing an executive order to cover all the COVID costs for people. He's not doing that. He's not even pushing for and fighting for a public option, which is what he said on the campaign trail that he would do. He's not doing that. In fact, it was totally dropped from the agenda until Bernie brought it back up um, with expanding... Medicare dropping the age to 60 to cover more people. So that nominally is what's left in that $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, but, but they're negotiating it now, and my guess is that's going to be one of the things left on the cutting room floor. So ultimately, he's talking about the health care is a right and not a privilege. He will not have lifted a finger for it, and he will not have given a single new American health care. No other American is going to get health care because of the actions of Joe Biden. No, No Medicare for all, no public option, no executive order covering COVID costs. They're going to probably drop that provision of Medicare at 60. So nobody, it's totally off the agenda. During a pandemic, during a health crisis, as, by the way, at the same time, medical debt, medical bankruptcies doubled, doubled. It was already one of the top causes of bankruptcy. And he has the nerve to go out there and give a press conference and talk about health care is a right and not a privilege. And I'm trying to get us closer to that. No, you're not. And also, sweet Jesus, this seems like a rough day for him when he did this press conference. He just seems lost and zombified and half asleep. And uh, it's tough to watch. That's tough to watch when he starts speaking really, really slow and seems confused as to where he is. Yeah, that's that's rough, but... For the love of God, I wish that they were pushing for actually reforming our health care system, because nothing has exposed the need for Medicare for all more than this pandemic. Because people are getting obliterated by their medical bills. And we had the best thing that we've had to date is this test run in socialized medicine with the free COVID vaccine. And I don't even know what number, 60 percent or something like that of the country has been vaccinated. That's amazing. 60% of the country is vaccinated and everybody just goes in and gets the shot and leaves. That's amazing. This should have made all Americans fall in love with Medicare for all and socialized medicine. Because look at how, look at how smooth and easy and simple it was. Everything should be like that, not just the COVID vaccine. But it's funny, we have this wildly positive and popular program that was our trial run and Nobody's connecting the dots and saying, well, we should have that for everything. We really should. Everybody would be a lot better off. Okay. Let me do two more. Actually, one or two. What do I have here? Oh, I have one that's two separate, separate graphics. Okay, here we go. So I came across some new numbers on the wealth growth among billionaires, and this is incredible. The Institute for Policy Studies. Global billionaires see $5.5 trillion pandemic wealth surge. Global advocates call for one time 99% emergency tax on billionaires' pandemic windfalls to fund COVID-19 jabs for the entire world. The world's billionaires have seen their wealth surge by over $5.5 trillion since the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, a gain of over 68%. The world's 2,690 global billionaires saw their combined wealth rise from $8 trillion on March 18, 2020 to $13.5 trillion as of July 31, 2021, drawing on data from Forbes. Global, billionaires told, global billionaire total wealth has increased more over the past 17 months of the pandemic than it did in the 15 years prior to the pandemic between 2006 and 2020 global billionaire wealth increased from 2.65 trillion to 8 trillion a gain of 5.35 trillion this is absolutely astonishing billionaires have reaped an unseemly windfall at a time when millions have lost their lives and livelihoods the pandemic has supercharged existing global inequalities with the wealth profiteering from the shuttering of the main street economies around the world global equality advocates are calling on national governments to levy a one-time 99% tax on these billionaire windfall pandemic gains to pay for everyone on earth to be vaccinated against COVID-19 and provide a $20,000 cash grant to all unemployed workers. Wow. The analysis and proposal were released today by Oxfam, the Fight Inequality Alliance, the Institute for Policy Studies, and the Patriotic Millionaires. The organizations are calling on governments to tax the ultra-wealthy who profited from the pandemic crisis to help offset its costs. The one-time emergency COVID-19 billionaire tax would raise $5.445 trillion and still leave the world's 2,690 billionaires $55 billion richer than before the virus struck, an average of $37 million per billionaire. Governments across the world are massively undertaxing the wealthiest individuals and big corporations, Which is undermining the fight against COVID-19 and and poverty and inequality. That is really something, those last numbers, each billionaire will still gain an average of $37 million, uh, even if we tax them at 99%. 99% on their windfalls during the COVID pandemic. So first of all, needless to say, I absolutely love the idea. I think it's wonderful. Um, But of course, you knew there was going to be a but, you knew there was going to be a caveat and an asterisk, but there is no global body to uh, levy such a tax. You're not going to be able to tax through the UN or the World Trade Organization. Those, they're, they have their own problems, those, those bodies. You're not going to have the International Criminal Court get involved or whatever. So there is no way to really carry this out, but it just it really shows you, even with a 99% tax, they'd still be getting way wealthier and it's wild to think about that because everybody else is struggling in this economy and with this pandemic and people have lost their jobs and running out of money and people have lost their lives and billionaires have just made made out like bandits from this and those numbers really are just a a complete slap across the face to put it in context and perspective um they gained 5.5 trillion dollars since just the beginning of the pandemic that's an increase of 68%. Their wealth went from $8 trillion the day before COVID to $13.5 trillion. So there was this massive wealth consolidation, even way worse than what we had just before COVID. It's exacerbating all of the problems and, and inequalities. Oh, man. It, it really is astonishing. And this is something that people don't talk about nearly enough. We have to take drastic action. Drastic action to fight back against this wealth concentration and to give people an equal shot, you know, to give people just the hope that they can make it, to make, to create some semblance of a meritocracy. You guys know these facts because I say them all the time, but half of workers in America make $30,000 a year or less. That was before the pandemic. 78% of workers live, uh, of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That was before the pandemic. I mean – Imagine what it's like now. Imagine how bad it is now. And all the while, the billionaires are running out the back door with all the money. I mean, billionaires even make other members of the top 1%. Look wealthy or look poor, excuse me, by comparison. This all was avoidable, by the way, too, with good public policy. All you would have need to do needed to do to avoid this, at least in the context of the United States, and again, this is global, so it's a little different, but all you needed to do was have unionization levels high. In fact, we should have it so the default is that you're in a union and you would have to opt out if you wanted to opt out, but um, have unionization all across this country, Um, keep those New Deal programs intact and expand them, and have really high marginal tax rates on the rich and redistribute by giving people universal health care and universal education and eliminating student loan debt and eliminating medical debt and things of that nature. I mean... At this point, if you're not in favor of redistribution of wealth, you're just massively cucked by global capital. You know, the duh position is redistribution of wealth. In fact, the only way we could continue is to do massive redistribution of wealth. Because this stuff is going to bubble up in in terrible ways if it's not addressed in a serious way. I mean, that that was the whole thing with the New Deal, too, is that the reason why they were able to get that through is because People felt like if they don't massively reform the system right now, then the system could collapse, collapse in on itself and implode. And it could be replaced by communism or socialism or some other system that we've yet to conceive of. But you have to give up some of your money or else they're going to take all of your money is basically the the pitch that was made to the robber barons. And that same pitch should exist right now because these numbers are absolutely astonishing and anybody can see it. Okay. There we have it. Let me just do one more real quick. I'll talk about uh, what it was like doing Breaking Points. So uh, I co-hosted Breaking Points all last week. That's Crystal and Sagar's show. I was filling in for Sagar. Sagar was on vacation. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. The, um, the difference between my show and that show is very clear, though. You know, And so what I mean by that is, their show is a lot more professional. Like, the whole point of that show is let's have the look of being mainstream media, but the ideas of the outsiders. And so, I mean, I'm an outsider. I have outsider ideas. So, in one sense, you know, I fit perfectly in that format. But in another sense, yeah, it took it took a while for me to adjust um, and not be the same Kyle that you see here on Secular Talk, because Obviously, one of the things – I don't even realize how much I do it, but I obviously curse a lot, and uh, I'm very politically incorrect. And even my presentation is a little too you know, in-your-face and handsy and stuff for that format. So I watched back some of the stuff when I was on Breaking Points, and I was like, geez, I'm, I do look a little bit like fish out of water because I couldn't stop cursing, and I couldn't stop being very animated but you guys know that's how I am. It's just par for the course. I was able to reel it in a little bit as the week went on. By the second show, I was able to reel in the cursing a little bit, and uh, by the third show, I I actually think I did a wonderful job in the third show. Number one, limiting my cursing, but number two, um, just being a little more like when in Rome, be in Rome, and I was more in Rome in that third show. Definitely butchering that saying, but I think you get the point. Um, But yeah, no, I had a great time doing it. Uh, The only other points that the only other criticisms that some may have is that, well, hold on now, the original formula of Rising is that you had Sager's populist right, and you have Crystal, who's populist left, and so you almost have this, this show that has an interesting ideological crossover, where there's disagreement on some issues, but a lot of agreement on other issues, and that definitely was the genius of Rising. I will say, though, that um, now it's breaking points, and they're independent, which I'm so happy they're independent. Um, You know, ideology is fluid. It's not stagnant. And I do think it's fair to say that Sager, I don't don't even know if he would call himself right wing anymore. He's certainly not as, he's not where I am on populist left. He's certainly not there. Um, But, you know, I definitely don't think it's fair to just lump him in with the right anymore like you could have maybe in the past. So, yeah, populist left Crystal and populist left Kyle is certainly not the same dynamic as populist left crystal and vague centrist populist um, Sagar, but it's still a dynamic that I love. I know she loves it, and hopefully a lot of people out there watching loved it. Uh, it. It is it is rough, I will say, that I know the way those shows work. If somebody were to just fill in for me, you guys wouldn't like it. You'd be like, where the hell is Kyle? This isn't the same thing. And I know there were plenty of people who were big fans of Sagar who you know, would watch me filling in for him and would be like, well, what the hell? Where's Sagar? This isn't the same. And all I'd say to those people is, Listen, I agree with you, and I get it. you The whole point is you watch that show for Crystal and soccer. That's the whole reason you watch it. So if you remove half of that equation, it's not the same. So I get your frustration, which is why I always try was trying to remind everybody that, hey, I'm only here for a week. It's okay. He'll be right back, so don't worry about him. He's just getting a little break and going on vacation, and so everything's all good. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – I hope, I think a a decent number of people, they accepted me as much as anybody could be accepted filling in for somebody else is my point. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll be more than happy to do it again in the future when he goes on vacation again. And I had fun, I I have to admit. You know, my show is a little more relaxed and a little more like a talk radio format or a podcast format. Their show is a lot more professional. But it's nice every now and then to dip my toe in that water and to, to feel the slightly more professional vibe and so I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Crystal told me that the numbers were actually really, really good for all the shows that I was on, and that makes me happy. You know, It makes me happy to know that Sagar could look at that while he's gone and say, okay, at least the show's in in decent hands now, so I don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, But yeah, I had fun, and I'll definitely do it again. But I mean, of course, this is my baby. And by the way, if you are now watching this show from Breaking Points, if you were first and foremost a Breaking Points fan and then you decided to check out this show, welcome. Welcome. And I'm, you know, uh, flattered that you would consider putting me in your media diet. I know there's a lot of stuff out there, but I'll try my best to to not disappoint. And just know up front, if you are going from Breaking Points and you're starting to watch some secular talk, here it's, uh, you know, it's I'm unchained. So there probably is going to be the cursing, and I'm not going to try to reel it in, and there probably is going to be a lot of jokes and political incorrectness and talking too much with my hands and all that stuff. But, yeah, it was fun. i do it again. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't checked out the clips from when I was there, they're all up on the Breaking Point channel, or you can watch it on, or listen to it on any podcast platform you want. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Of my monologues, uh, I, the Joe Rogan one I did I was really proud of. And the, um, the healthcare one I did, I was proud of, too, even though the healthcare one didn't get good uh, views. And then the Brian Stelter one, I was really proud of, too. So it was cool to do a, a monologue, too, because you to, you're forced to, like, be even more clear with your thoughts as opposed to just rambling like I do on this show. But, yeah, a lot of people pointed out I, uh, I wasn't really looking at the camera the entire time. Yes, Crystal and Saga write their monologues, and so they have it. In front of them as they're talking in the camera on the teleprompter, I um, I almost have a principled belief against teleprompters. I don't like I don't like being on a teleprompter. I like to wing it, and so what I did is I put a couple bullet points and I would just sort of riff as I went along, and that's why you saw me looking down and looking up and looking down and looking up. But yeah, again, it's I was going to say different strokes for different folks, but that sounds vaguely sexual, so I won't say that. I'll say you know, it's different between how I do it and how they do it, but it was nice to sort of test out how they do it a little bit, but anyway, welcome if you're new here, and um, if you're not new here, sup y'all, I hope you checked out my channel last week too, because we had, uh, I did my show from the uh, studio there, which was also fun, all right guys, love you, I'll talk to you all soon, have a great rest of the day, peace.